You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hi guys, my name is Brandon, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption City Church, and you're just moments away of listening to a sermon exhortation from our ministry. Guys, we're about to get into the Word. That's legit. Like, wake up. You get to listen to the God of the universe in Scripture, the one who breathed life into the whole world. He speaks still in His Word, and you get to listen to it. We don't have to pay for it. We don't have to do it underground like in so many different countries. It's free and totally available for anyone and everyone who has ears to hear. Now, I don't know about you, but that gets me pumped up, and I'm so stoked to see what God has for me today. I hope you are in that posture too. Let's go. Let's get ready to grow, and let's be like Jesus. The journey through Ephesians began back in September of 2019. Roadmaps were given. The destination was laid. We believed that God was with us. His story remains the same. The journey has been transformative. It is changing people's lives. We see God clearly. He is still alive. We are approaching the end of a journey that began with broken stories and broken people. But oh, our God has been faithful to us. We've experienced the blessings. We've been restored. We've been equipped. God, we are ready for more. We see part 29. It's on the other side. All we have to do is walk across the bridge that's right in front of our eyes. Are you ready to take the step? There's so much that we can expect. Our God is not finished with us yet. Do you want to increase your peace? Do you want to maximize your joy? There's a challenge waiting for us. Do you want to join? Are you ready to talk about marriage? Are you ready to talk about family? In order to learn about these two things, we have to focus on today's sermon about God's design of submission and authority. So, let the Ephesians series begin. Do not worry about tomorrow, but instead, come walk across the bridge. We are back to begin our last dance in the book of Ephesians. Let's go. If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open them to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 14 in just a little bit as we continue forward in our Ephesians series titled Our Story. Man, I haven't said that in a while. Into God's story. I want to keep reminding you, if this is your first time here, you're coming at an amazing time because we're learning all about who God is in the book of Ephesians, what 
that means for us as his children in the book of Ephesians and how to walk out our crazy cool life as Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians. Now, here remains our aim. We're going to keep this aim going all the way through the last seven or eight sermons of this series, and it's this. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've been studying the Word of God, we believe that if you open your heart and you soften your mind, that you can have a living encounter with the God of the universe right here in the text like you've never had before. Now, last week in part 28 titled The Spirit-Filled Life and Our Part in It, we learned that God gave us the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we would receive power. Isn't that legit? The Holy Spirit would fill us so that we would receive power to be His people to go about laying our lives down as a living sacrifice for the purposes of God. We learn that the activities that God is calling us into, he gives us the power to do them and that that is not coming in and of ourselves. Like it's all on him, the power, the gravity, the pressure, the hope, and the energy. Man, it comes from Jesus. And folks, that's that's really good news. We learn that there's four life altering questions that we have to resolve in our hearts about us and our relationship to God. We laid that out, right? Number one was, is there a God? We got to reconcile and say, is God real? And we talked about how real, how big, how majestic, how wide God really is. The second question is, is is God good? Is he doing things for our benefit or for our bad? And we talked about that, right? God is supremely and infinitely good. He's a good, good father, folks. The third question was, does God know what he's talking about in all things? And folks, man, his ways are so far beyond our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. But what we have to rest in is that God always knows what he's talking about. And then finally, the fourth life-altering question was, does the word of God get to be the boss over our lives, right? So is God real? Is he good? Does God know what he's talking about? And will we submit in all things to the word of God. We learn that the most important ministry of the Holy Spirit when he fills us up is to convict you and me of our sin, to demonstrate the importance of righteousness and to remind us of the impending judgment to come. That's how we keep eyes in light of eternity. We learn that despite our trials and our tribulations, we need to still be of good cheer, folks, no matter what trials and tribulations we're going through. And that means being a content and joyful people, people that are marked with joy in our hearts. And the way we do that is we have to talk to ourselves and preach to ourselves and sing melodies that are coming out of our hearts to ourselves as we are marked by being a people of good cheer. And finally, we learn that to reverence Christ or to have fear of the Lord in appropriate ways means to fully trust in God to the point of activity and action, not just acknowledging that what he says is true. And that brings us to today, oh man, to part 29 of our Ephesians series titled The Power of Submission and the Varying Degrees of Authority in Our 
relationships. And I want you to know that we're going to continue right now, just coming off of our Ephesians break, to uh, march and embark upon some life-changing content in Scripture as we see some life-changing context in Scripture as Paul, beautifully inspired by God, breaks down what life should look like for us as Christians. Okay, so I'm going to read God's Word now, you amazing student learners. As we prepare for today's conversation, I'm going to break down some general concepts about submission and some varying degrees of authority that we all have in our relationships. And the aim is going to be to set us up for the next two weeks as we dive deep into a two-part conversation on marriage, on the institution of marriage, and subsequently what that means for us as singles, those of you who are singles. Okay, so we're going to pick up in verse 14 now, and I'm going to kind of fillet open these verses and march us to our main verse in verse 21. Okay, so let's do that now, and let's read. Let's read God's word. Verse 14 says, Therefore, It says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now remember, this letter to the church of Ephesus was for the believers, not the unbelievers. You can't forget that. It's for the saints and not the ain'ts. So when Paul is exhorting them, which hopefully that means he's exhorting us, right? He's saying, Wake back up into Christian activity that God has called you to. Stop doing the sins that are forbidden. Stop getting busy doing the wrong things. Be who you're supposed to be that's rooted out of your beautiful God-given identity. It's all about stepping back into the light as we joyfully serve as light to the world around us, folks. Verse 15, look carefully, right? Then how you walk, not as unwise but is wise. Okay, so in other words, look with circumspection. Remember that? Have a biblical 360 type of uh, view, type of carefulness about how you are walking in this beautiful position you've been given as ambassadors of Christ. And we do that by keeping our eyes, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25, directly ahead of us towards everything that God has for us in our present and in our future, while assessing the distractions and the dangers from the left and the right, with occasional um, glances in the rearview mirror of our life towards the old man that tries to creep up on us, folks. But, But we're also not to be fools, right? Do you see that in the text? We can't be fools. We cannot be a people who disregard the things of God. Instead, we're to be a people who provide great care to everything that God says that God says in Scripture. Okay, let's keep marching. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days, man, the days are evil, folks. Folks, it's all about redeeming the time. It's about putting the value back, you remember that, and the purpose back in things that God designed and created for a specific reason. Like, folks, we've lost our way. We've talked about that. The world has lost its way. Creatures and created things, they have lost their purpose. But in Christ, oh man, we learn that we get to be great redeemers of our lands and our lives and opportunities and the seasons and the eras 
is that we live in. Oh, that was so legit. And we want to do that by so ferociously being about the redemption of the time because the days are so evil. We went and we marched to the text in Matthew. We saw Jesus talking about that, right? He, he talked about being careful about the era and the season where lawlessness is running rampant. And we talked about lawless, um, lawlessness meaning the glad disregard for the things that God forbids and the things that God commands. We are to watch out for that type of evil lawlessness. Okay, verse 17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So because of everything that Paul's talking about in the text, hey, we can't be dumb and stupid and foolish. We're not to be dumb sheep, but instead we are to be a deepening sheep in Christ. And we do that by discerning and understanding and obeying the will of God. Now, how do we do that? We learn why we do it primarily by turning to the word of God as our compass and our wise guide above all things, folks. And we experience the word of God in our devotions, but also through the preaching and the exhortations in sermons in the context of covenant communities in these things we call churches, folks. That's our feeding ground. Secondly, we discern the will of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember that? Man, the Holy Spirit is not to be treated like the stepchild in the Trinity because it's through the Holy Spirit that we receive godly conviction and the understanding of the pursuit towards righteousness. Man, we looked at that in part 27 of this series, right? We looked at like over 27 things that the Holy Spirit does for us, praise Christ. And finally, we discern the will of God by linking together with our brothers and sisters. Folks, we discern the will of God in glad community. Okay, so verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is, man, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Hey, don't do this, but do that. I love that. Okay, so here Paul leans in with a special exhortation about a a specific vice that has been the downfall and the demise of so many people. And so we talked about the prohibitionist stance, and we talked about the abstinence stance, and we talked about the moderationist stance. But family and friends, we can't go around, right, prohibiting alcohol. It's not biblical. We laid that out. However, I laid out the faithful claim that the safest place to land regarding alcohol is to abstain from it, but not because of the law, but because of love for thy neighbor, right? And we do this out of love and devotion. We never do it out of law restriction. However, man, to be faithful to the text, we talked about drinking in moderation is permissible, but we have to have amazing self-control, and our Christ-centered categories have to be totally lined up. Okay, but here's where things get really, really legit in the text, folks. Because, see, after Paul says all these things in in the first 18 verses that we just kind of been marching through, the remedy to all these things, the way we stop having crude joking and filthy talk and filthiness and sexual impurity and covetousness and idolatry, man, it's by being filled with the Spirit, Oh, that's legit. Do you see that in the text? And we learn that being filled with the Spirit is all about focusing on Jesus everywhere and all the time in our lives, right? Hey, every circumstance, we should be asking Jesus what he would do, and then we should get about imitating him 
towards that end. Like, aren't we so blessed to be positionally filled by the Spirit automatically because of our identity in Christ? That's a sweet deal, folks. But folks, we got to go about practically experiencing our filled position by getting more and more focused on Jesus. Okay, let's keep tracking through the text. Verse 19 and 20. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always, ooh, here comes the tension, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, man, man, I love how, how practical Paul begins to break down what the Spirit-filled life and what it looks like. He doesn't start off talking about miracles and walking on water and prophecies or, or mystical things. Folks, he starts off with the practical. Do you see that in these verses? Because the rest of the book of Ephesians, Paul details what the Spirit-filled life should look like for every child of God. He starts off by calling us to sing and be glad and to be of good cheer. And then we get this major exhortation to give thanks but folks, to give thanks for everything. And we talked about that. That's, that's difficult. In fact, it's impossible without being spirit-filled. Oh, but for the spirit-filled man and woman, we are so empowered and equipped because of the seven identifiable blessings of the triune God, chapter one, right? Which gives us the seven uh, fold fuel of our activities in Christ. And then we become more than conquerors to the activities that God's calling us to do. We could do it with good cheer. Okay, verse 21. And this is where we camp out today as we prepare for all that God has for us in the next couple weeks. Here it is. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Oh, and this verse sets up everything that we're going to talk about today because the spirit-filled life is all about submitting to one another but with god in the picture are you with me god has created so many different types of roles and responsibilities and positions of authority and those things simply don't work outside of being spirit-filled it's the spirit-filled pastor that can lead the charge effectively and not lose his way with arrogance and pride it's the spirit-filled members of the church that can submit their lives with humility and reverence to their pastors and feel safe doing so. It's the spirit-filled parent that can lead their children in such a manner that is redemptive and God-glorifying without exasperating them. It's the spirit-filled child that can honor their father and mother throughout life in such a way that's pleasing to God but not compromising to what God's calling them to do in their own lives. And folks, we're going to learn next week that this means that the glorious design of marriage becomes possible because of this submission onto God. But today, I want to make sure pastorally that we set a great, great foundation for us to have that conversation regarding marriage. So this is where, this is where we camp out, folks, and this is where we pray. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, oh, we're going to need you in a big way this morning. And not just for today, but really, Lord, for the next two weeks to come. Because as we turn our affections and thoughts to your holy scripture regarding topics like authority and submission and marriage and our part in it, words like, like anxiety and disappointment and embarrassment and abuse and fear and pain 
probably come to mind for too many of us today. Oh, but in Christ, for the Spirit-filled brother and sister, your word declares a much, a much better alternative and destination than all those words. Because of the Spirit, you flipped the whole thing upside down on its head, Lord, and you declared that authority and submission, man, in marriage, man, they're designed to embody words like peace and encouragement, confidence and security, provision and healing, and ultimately, joy. Therefore, I pray and I ask that today's sermon will be a sweet and beautiful gift of grace with eternal perspectives on submission and authority in all relationships. That we would understand that submission to authority, wow, that submission to others is for our benefit and not our bad, Jesus. That we would understand and ultimately desire to lean into the positions given to us for the sake of unity and harmony in the spirit of the bond of peace amongst us as saints. And I'm so aware and I'm so humbled that you've chosen to let me, Lord, preach this message. Man, in a category where I've really demonstrated some great strength in my life, but also, Lord, some great weakness. So may my lessons and victories and failures and ultimately devotion to your word, may it come through today for your people so that we can be equipped and launched forward in life towards our conversations that are coming these next two weeks on marriage and subsequently singlehood. It's because of your beautiful, beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so for today, folks, the goal is going to be to focus on the importance of submission and the varying degrees of uh, authority in our lives, in all the different relationships that we have here on earth. And we're going to be establishing some simple yet some profound biblical foundations and a few applications to help us really be ready next week for this conversation on marriage and again, subsequently, singlehood. And the goal today is for me to help you understand how authority is designed and activated by God for relationships to operate and to flourish for God, under God, and ultimately for his glory. And so the next two weeks is going to be all about elevating scripture above all things. Are you tracking with me? That means elevating scripture beyond your preferences and opinions. Hey, we get this crazy cool thing called liberty. But our liberty does not supersede God's call. Hey, this means elevating scripture beyond our fears and our failures. We have to start living as victorious Christians. And our past and our mistakes and the things that have happened to us can't be the Lord of our decisions. This is means it's about elevating scripture beyond our bitterness and our control issues. Are you tracking? We have to be glad glad participants in the word of God, submitting to what God says in the text. This means elevating scripture is going to be our priority beyond our arrogance and our pride. We don't know more than God. Even though we think we know what's best for us, God knows what's best for us even when we don't feel like that's true. And folks, this means we have to learn to elevate scripture beyond our laziness and our manipulative tendencies. 
we got to stop being laggardly, and we got to start working hard in Jesus, knowing that we've been given a rich inheritance and that we're not working from a deficit anymore, but from a rich and lavished position. Now, did you know that even God himself elevates Scripture higher than his own name? Are you tracking with me? God in Scripture says that he elevates his own word above his own name. Now, we're going to have to journey back to the old King James Version um, in the book of Psalms to let David kind of help us understand this as he powerfully lays this out in the text. So let's do that now. Here it is. Psalms chapter 138, verse 2. Here's what David says. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. That's the key. And for thy truth. Ready? For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Oh, man. Pay attention. Having mentioned God's truth in the previous line, David is sharing that the main way God's truth is communicated to us is through his word. Are you with me? God's truth is proclaimed ultimately through his word. And this shows that God himself has such a high esteem for his own word that he magnifies it above his own name. Are you tracking? This is a stunning and remarkable statement that David's making about God and that God has inspired and allowed to be in our text that we call the Bible because it's showing the incredible personal regard from God about his own word and the authority that it has, folks. God is literally holding his word in greater esteem than his very name and the character attached to it. Now, this doesn't mean that God's character and the power of his name is removed to like second place. That's not what it's saying. Instead, it's like God saying, hey, I, I really I really value my name, but above everything else, the integrity of my words is of greatest importance to me. I want you to believe the things that I say is what God is saying in this text. That, 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 that's, that's legit. So even though people today literally living in Israel, right, the Jews today, even though they don't say God's name, you know, they, they won't say God or, or Yahweh or Jehovah, they won't say the word like that out of respect. God's like, man, that's so cool. That's so legit. I'm so glad that you have such reverence for my name and that you lift it up so highly. But I want you to know something. My word in scripture and what I have to say is lifted higher than even my name. Okay, so holding this in perfect tension, Paul is guiding us in this revered and respected scripture that must be elevated beyond all things. And he talks about what the spirit-filled life should look like and what the Holy Spirit does for us. And so the Bible is full of examples and exhortations and stories that really reveal two major areas that the Holy Spirit activates within our lives. Let's look at that now. Here's number one. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do that which you cannot do on your own. That's important, folks. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do that which you cannot do on your own. This is going to be so important when we talk about submission and authority. Here's number two. 
the Holy Spirit, this is what he does. He empowers you to do that which you do not want to do in the first place. Oh, man, that that is so critical. Like, can't you see? Both of these areas are massively uncomfortable, right? Like, it's incredibly uncomfortable to step into situations that we would fail at. It's uncomfortable. The things that we know we can't do without God, we don't want to do. Well, why? Because we hate failing, folks. We hate having to know that we can't do something, which means if we discern that something is too difficult and too hard, we often dismiss it or we run away from it. But folks, it's also incredibly uncomfortable to step into situations that we don't want to do in the first place. Well, why? Because we're selfish creatures, right? Like at our core, we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And we most definitely don't want to do what we don't want to do. So it's uncomfortable to step into things that we can't do. And it's uncomfortable to step into things that we don't want to do. And that's why so many immature Christians, they crash, folks, and they burn when they first become believers. And that's primarily because they don't have their heads on straight when they go about imitating Christ. They get so pumped and so excited and so stoked about their new relationship with Christ that they run off saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And they think they understand the Christian life by doing only what they want to do and when they want to do it. And then life actually hits and tragedy strikes and things that they don't really want to do become things that God's calling them to do. And things that they feel are too hard become the very wall they have to break through. And so when this happens, man, they run into a wall and they crash and burn and they're left sobbing saying, I don't know what's going on. Where are you, Jesus? But folks, it's clear what's happening in those moments. They're not tapping into their spirit-filled position. They're not fully focused on Jesus because the Holy Spirit comes in our lives to help us supersede beyond the things that we can't do in and of ourselves. And he most definitely comes to activate within our heart things that we don't want to do. And it gets to work to transform it. Folks, you remember when Peter was on the boat? Remember that in the, in the Gospels when Peter's on the boat and he attempted to walk on the water? Man, he started sinking soon, quick, and in a hurry, right? When he took his eyes off Jesus. But once he put his focus back on Jesus completely, and once Jesus met him there and said, it's my will, Peter, for you to walk on this water, man, folks, the impossible, it became possible. That's legit. Therefore, the Holy Spirit gives me and you power to do the impossible in Christ. And oftentimes, the impossible involves things that we believe we can't do. But in Christ, we surprisingly become victorious over them. But other times, the Holy Spirit activates us so that we are able to step into things that we never wanted to do in the first place, and, and, and God transforms us, and all of a sudden, a new desire, folks, a new desire is birthed. So what do you have going on in your life right now? That's my question. That feels radically impossible for you, like particularly in areas concerning submission and authority. 
operating in glass submission authority. What areas are difficult for you right now, or dare I say, feeling impossible for you to navigate? Because I'm here to argue in the text that the whole submission thing and the whole authority thing is not just about marriage. It's in all relationships. That's what Paul's laying out in the text. Okay, so eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. The Holy Spirit gives you and me power to do the things that we don't want to do and the things that we feel we can't do. You want to know why? Because we are sinners. We are rebellious. We are selfish and we are nasty and we need the Holy Spirit to help us care about what God says is to be elevated as important in our lives. Did you know that if you look up the word nasty in the Greek lexicon, I'm sorry, if you look at the word sinner in the Greek lexicon, one of the words that it gives as a description is nasty. Wow, that's you and me according to the text. We are messed up, screwed up, tripped up, and we are nasty without the Holy Spirit. And if you're it's like and if you're like Heavenly Father, I don't want to be messed up anymore. I don't want to be a sinner. I don't want to be nasty from the inside out. God replies and he says, Don't worry, I got you. The Holy Spirit's gonna change your attitude. That's great. That's legit. The Holy Spirit's going to change your attitude and change your heart so you can go about operating with a spirit of gratitude to ultimately do what's hard. And not only, this is what God's saying, not only will you be able to do the things that you could not do, the impossible becoming possible, I'm going to do something crazy legit, is what Paul's saying. Um, what Paul's saying that God is saying. Paul's saying, hey, not only will that happen, but I'm going to cause you to have a transformed heart of affection to start obeying things you never wanted to do in the first place. And they're going to become a genuine desire. Oh, are you tracking with the Holy Spirit? Our actual wants begin to change. Praise Christ. Things you have to do become things you get to do, folks. Commandments become opportunities. Godly restrictions become godly opportunities. Everything changes and gets flips upside down in the best possible of ways, folks. And this sets the stage for you to confidently and gladly participate in submitting to one another and gladly participating in the varying degrees of authority that are within your life. This leads to our, our first important takeaway that I want us to really think about right now. Here it is on your screen. First one, we have been given the Holy Spirit to move us into victorious action over that which we cannot do and that which we don't want to do. This is made possible by keeping our eyes radically focused on Jesus. And as a result, commandments become opportunities and godly restrictions become godly protection. This sets the stage for glad submission to authority to occur. Okay, so, so check this out. You are surrounded every single day with people who think absolutely contrary to God and the Bible with great indifference. And honestly, folks, sometimes all out 
hostility. It's all around you. Big government like the federal like the federal system or small government systems kind of like the school districts. Social media and secular media and news media, every single organization is slowly, scripture says, moving further and further away from being linked to and submitted to God, right? The authority of God. So that causes a massive conflict, doesn't it? There's going to be serious tension that you're going to experience in your life as you keep walking closer, submitting your life to the authority of the Bible as the world veers away from the authority of Scripture. Okay, so because what the Bible teaches about uh, regarding submission to authority, man, it, because it's not accepted, right, in, our, in the world and in influential circles and academia and every, pretty much every category, you're going to experience more tension. And that's why we need the power of God to do the things of God and to ultimately start liking the things of God because every single thing in the world is preaching a different gospel, folks. They're preaching a different message. And that makes submission authority really difficult because they're giving a different message. And you better believe that this applies to God's values and perspectives on relationships and marriage as well. Because the world has a different narrative and an economy of thinking regarding relationships and genders and roles and marriage. Because every message you get from the world, lean in, every message you're going to get from the world is going to be the opposite in relationships and marriage. The world's going to teach you and the world's trying to teach me to be our own boss and to do our own little deal in our marriages, in our relationships. Period. The world's going to teach you to only submit, submit, what? Only submit to the point that you absolutely have to to get what you ultimately want in life. The world's going to teach you to choose yourself before anybody. There's anthems all over YouTube. Hashtag choose yourself. That's that's crazy. The world's going to teach you to submit only if you if the person has earned it, not because anyone's commanded it. But God in Scripture is saying, hey, the world's categories are completely wrong. They're corrupt. They're lost. It's darkened. It's empty words. And if you're a bit impatient right now in our sermon, you're distracted because you're waiting for the big application moment where I put it all together for you. Hey, if you're itching to ditch this conversation so we can jump to application so you can go do a bunch of activities, please just let me pastor you this morning. I'm trying to take you somewhere. Let me lead you and let me guide you. Follow me into this question that I'm about to ask you because it's so, so important. I want to juxtapose the Bible right now to the world's economy of thinking because I want you to see how wacky this is. Are you with me? Okay, so, so, so let's do that now because the only way that I believe that we could be set up for joy, for the joy that Christ has set before us, is to do this. We got to look at what God says. We got to look at what the world is saying and we got to see that one's clearly light and one is clearly dark. So here's my question. How are things going in the world today? How are things going in the world today? Are they going good? Come on, folks. No way. Things are not 
things are not going well at all. Like crime rates are steadily rising. Things are getting more and more offensive. Racial tensions are at an all-time high. Our presidency has become an all-out joke and satire in the last four years. People are hungry. People are jobless. People are fighting over COVID. Divorces are increasing rapidly, both inside and outside the church. Look at the numbers. It's scary. Our country is in debt. We are borrowing more and more and more and more money from people that we used to lend money to just a few decades ago. Fatherless homes are rapidly increasing. Abuse is rampant. Diseases are multiplying like crazy. There's new diseases springing up every year. Folks, the world, the world is doing bad. So, so, so here's my question. Why are we so mesmerized and wooed and attracted to the system of perspectives that are so broken and are not delivering on any of their promises? You get so wrapped up in all the politics and all the, uh, the, 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 the politics around even prescription medications and how life should be lived. But the evidence says it's not, it's not working. Like, would you pay money to have a personal trainer that was 375 pounds overweight with a cardiovascular disease because they don't have any ability to have self-control with food consumption? And, and, they're, and they're talking to you saying, this is the way that you should train. And as they barely move and they, and they kind of hove and heave because they can't tie their own shoe, would you let that person train you? in your health goals? Like, no way you wouldn't do that. That personal trainer is clearly unqualified to be an authority figure over your training regime. But folks, that's what we do when we listen to the world and we seek after the world for answers and to be our compass and to be our authority of decision-making in our lives. Why? Why would you, as a Bible-believing Christian, ever submit yourself to a train of thought and an authority that does not deliver? On its promise, folks, the verdict is that the world is massively failing and is categorically unqualified to be the standard and the authority that we follow. Okay, so each and every decade, we're moving more and more away as a society from submitting to God's word and Christian principles. And the results are devastating, and they're showing in every category of life, life, finances, disease, every area. It's showing. And though we can't change the White House, and though we can't change the nation, folks, we can change our heart towards these things. You and I, we can make an adjustment within our own lives and within our own homes about what our authority is going to be. We can make we can make a positive effect in our family units and in our churches and in our communities, folks. We have that authority. And all of this becomes possible because we have a spirit-filled positional inheritance in Christ and we have to activate that practically and it starts with saying who and to whom will I give over my life to? 
what is my ultimate authority? Okay, so because that's true, the first exhortations about the Spirit-filled life that we see in, t- in the text centers on being joyful and thankful, not just in marriages that we're going to be talking about over the next two weeks to come, but in all things and everything. And we really do have so much to be thankful for and have joy about, don't we? But sometimes our flesh just gets in the way. We know how that goes. Our flesh gets in the way and we get self-centered. Yes, we do. And we start focusing on all of our problems. And this stuff really, really affects our lives. And this stuff gets embedded within our marriages. We're going to talk about that. When we become self-focused on our problems and we lose the ability to give thanks for all things, folks, our relationships and most definitely our marriages begin to have real problems. And when we do that, God says, hey, are you really returning to being a two-dimensional person? Are you really going to do that? Are you going to stick with me being a three-dimensional person? Are you just going to go back to being a mind person, getting stuck in your thoughts? Like, oh, I'm I'm struggling and I got this memory. You're going to go back to that? Are you really going to go back to being a body person, only submitting to your own desires? Or are you going to keep tracking with me as a three-dimensional person led by the Spirit who reigns and rules and supersedes over your mind's thoughts and your body's desires? It's like God saying, when you're thinking about your relationships, think with me right now, church, when you're thinking about your relationships, and when you're thinking about your submitting and whoever you got to submit to, and when you're thinking about the varying degrees of authority that are currently in your life, when you're thinking about the problems that arise and the complexities and the trials and the tribulations that come, are you focusing on the destination of eternity with me and where you're going? Or are you getting stuck, stalled, and stagnant on the present condition of the submission or the authority And are you getting concerned with things that are ultimately fleeting? Because, folks, when we operate from our spirit-filled position, we can be joyful and we can be thankful and we can sing melodies out of our heart like crazy. But you know what else we can do? We can most definitely submit, folks. We can submit to one another. And we can do that with a true joy in our heart and actually mean it because the Spirit is governing over our lives. Are you tracking? So in other words, verse 21, when it talks about this whole submitting to another, hey, it's communicating that the spirit-filled person has the ability and the capacity, ready, and the learned desire to submit and to actually enjoy it. Are you kidding me? God's given us good news. He's like, I'm not just calling you to submit. I'm equipping you to submit and to enjoy it with melody in your heart. And this glad submission, folks, is all about doing it for others' good and God's glory. That's the secret. You're submitting for other people's good, including your own, and God's glory and learning to enjoy it. Okay, so track with me. I'm going to break this down. Therefore, marriage submission is all about doing it for other people's good. And the primary other person's good is your spouse. But it doesn't just stop there. When you do it for your spouse's good, your family gets impacted. It's for their good. And then it's for your church's good. And then for your community of the nation. Do you see how this works? For others' good and God's glory. We got to learn 
to enjoy it. Hey, when you are having ecclesiastical and pastoral submission and you learn to do that gladly, it's for others' good. It makes your pastors not have to grumble when they lead you. It's a good thing. And by your submission to the ecclesiastical authority or the church authority in your life, this unity and harmony thing starts to get really legit in churches. And we become powerful. Instead of being 150 individual people, we become one people with 100 points of power to do great things. We've got to learn to enjoy it. When parental submission is engaged in by the child and they learn to love it, the relationship gets healthy at home. And there's this beautiful exchange of a relationship. God, he's so wise. We have to learn to enjoy it. Hey, when you are experiencing company or organizational submission based upon that authority, you learn to love it. You can actually open up your mind to be creative. Instead of looking at authority as a threat all the time, you're free to just be you. Simply, yes, supernaturally yourself. Not worrying and protecting yourself yourself and now you could be creative and you could do great things for your company do you see how awesome this is listen there is order in everything everything in life has order folks and when there's no order we we call that chaos we use words like rioting words like that but folks when things are in order there's mutual submission going on and there's varying degrees of authority you got to deal with these words and it's for universal good for everyone involved and when things are in order the verdict is health and blessings and joy and satisfaction and unity and harmony and peace Okay, I'm going to go deeper because I, I, we, we have got to get this if we're going to be able to be faithful in these next two sermons about marriage and singlehood. Okay, your teachers and your principals, the whole point of why they exist is for your best interest. Now, you may have had some negative experiences in school with teachers, and you might you may say, no, 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 I don't believe that. Hey, 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 I want you to take a risk with me, and I want you to think fundamentally, not from your pain, but from truth. Let's step into the light. The whole point of your teachers and your principal's authority is to have your best interest. It's for your, it's for your benefit. It's not for your bad. Think about it. But here's the thing. Sin entered the world. Sin entered into the equation, and there's corruption now. And so things are broken amongst school systems and teachers and principals, right? There's now ulterior motives. There's selfish gain. And so things are incredibly broken here. Hey, but that doesn't mean that God's not calling us to redeem them and to put the value back. Even if we're skeptical, we are redeemers of God's designs, are you kidding me? This, this, this whole authority that a teacher in a school district has, come on now, it's inherently a good thing. We just mess things up. Hey, did you know that the entire government system was made for our benefit and not our bad? Hey, the genuine intention of the governmental system by mere virtue of its inception way back hundreds of years ago was to protect us and to provide for us. For It was about coming out of England, right? And to not have all the taxes and to free up these new people called Americans to have more freedom. 
the intention of the government is good. It's a good and right and true authority. But then sin enters into the equation and there's corruption within our government system. Are you with me? There's abuse of power. There's manipulative goals and desires. So things are incredibly broken here. Are you with me? There's abuse of power and manipulation, but that doesn't mean that God's not calling us to redeem them and to still wisely submit to that authority. The concept of authority is not broken. We're broken. And the way back into healing, folks, is to trust God by operating as glad people who participate in submission and authority. We are redeemers of God's design of authority. <laughs> Did you know, I'm not done. Did you know that police officers and, and uh, police officers and first responders are only here and they are created for our benefit, not our bad. It's about protecting us. And I don't know about you, but I still believe that we live in the best country in the world because we have first responders and police officers and things that keep our country safe. It's a right and good authority. Don't attack the concept of authority. But then sin entered into the equation, and there's corruption here. And so now you have racism and sexism and drug trafficking amongst police. Things are, I'm admitting, they're broken. But that doesn't mean that God is not calling us to redeem them and to put the value back in the authority structures, folks. We are to be redeemers of God's design. Okay, and most definitely, did you know that the institution of marriage and the order of operation that God lays out in Scripture that we're going to see in a real way next week, hey, it's for our benefit and not our bad. What he's calling husbands to do and what he's calling wives to do and the authority that he distributes amongst them in a diversification type of a way is ultimately for good and protection for that couple and for others in the world, and it's for the glory of God. But then sin entered into the equation, and there's corruption within our marriages, and there's abuse of power, and there's a lack of respect, and there's pain, and there's abuse. So things, I'm admitting, things are broken here. But that doesn't mean God's not calling us to redeem them and to put the value back in the submission and the authority that he's laid out. We are the redeemers of God's design for authority. This leads to our second important takeaway. Here it is. The spirit-filled life is led by an individual who has the capacity and the learned desire to submit to others, gladly doing so out of reverence to the Lord. This is because God created all things to help bring order and not chaos. Authority structures and roles are given for our benefit and not our bad. Come on, folks. We got to know that. However, sin entered the world and corruption is plaguing all authority structures and roles. However, with trust in Christ, we are to work hard at putting the value back and purpose in God's design for authority as redeemers, as redeemers of the world. 
Okay, now as glad redeemers of God's design in this world, activated by Christ, let's take a brief sneak peek right now at verses 22 through 33, which is going to be our main verses for the next two weeks on marriage. And subsequently, we'll talk about this and singlehood. We're going to be reading the text now, you student learners, about marriage, Christ, and our part in it. Okay, let's read the Word of God. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. What does that mean? We'll learn. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Wow, how do we do this? Christ, church, husband, what is this? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I can't wait to talk about that next week. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Verse 28, in the same way, in what same way? Oh, we'll do that later. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. I'm going to fillet that open next week. Verse 29, verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Oh, man, there's so much in this text. Verse 31, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Did you know there's so much controversy around verse 31? Not here at RCC. We're going to break that down simply yet profoundly. Verse 32, this mystery, what mystery? The whole thing, folks, this institution of marriage. It's profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Oh, man. There's so much in that text. Okay, okay, listen. We have to be careful not to throw away God's very design of authority just because we have an inability to do it rightly. I'm going to say that again. We have to be careful not to throw away God's design for authority and submission just because we don't do it perfectly. Like our sin doesn't cancel out God's righteous design for authority. It doesn't do that. It just means that we go often go about implementing it in a very sloppy and messy way. But in Christ, we get to clean that up. So instead of throwing the whole authority and submission category away, God gives us principles in Scripture about how to be spirit-filled Christians that can joyfully redeem these authority structures and to gladly submit. So in this portion of Scripture coming up, Next week on marriage and the following week, I'm going to do my best to teach it 
exegetically, and I'm going to try to bring a few points of clarity on some areas that have been mystified and are kind of difficult, and that's going to set us up for a really powerful two-part little marriage, I guess you could say, little series, um, and I think it's going to be really legit and redemptive for our people here. But today, I just want to start off by telling you that this passage is not just about husbands and wives in marriage. Nope. It's about husbands and wives in marriage with Jesus in the picture. Oh, and let me tell you, I'm so glad that God instructed Paul in his infinite wisdom to include Jesus in the picture of our marriages, because it's a reminder to husbands that it's okay to lose yourself and to die to yourself for the sake of your wife. And, the, and for the sake of your kids, that you don't have to live for your own agenda and your own comfort and your own ideas, always trying to be your own little boss doing your own little deal, but instead that you can seek to deny yourself radically for the betterment and the benefit of your wife and your kids and your community. But I'm equally thankful that the wife's opportunity is laid out so that she can give and she can transfer her whole heart and time and dreams into the context of marriage and that she can submit all of it as her husband leads her, that she can confidently and joyfully as a spirit-filled woman say, this is my role, this is my responsibility, and it's to love my husband totally, to respect my husband categorically, and to submit to him and to follow him in everything as unto the Lord. And I'm so thankful that this passage is all about husbands and wives submitting as they find each other to the overarching purpose of glorifying God above all things. It's not about exalting their marriage in and of itself. That's not what marriage is. We're going to learn that. It is not about exalting the marriage. It's not about exalting our houses and our vacations and our dreams in and of itself. It's not about that. Marriage is not about exalting our romantic desires. Folks, it's not about that. It's not about exalting anything but the name of Jesus the Christ because the very principle and the institution of marriage was about God and the church not you and me. I'm going to say it again. The whole institution of marriage is symbolic of a greater reality between Christ and the church, not you and yourself. Folks, marriage is an incredibly important picture of something far beyond romance and pleasantries and niceties and best friend forever narratives. It's not about that. In God's infinite wisdom, he chose to create this institution to be a demonstration to the whole world about some really glorious things that reach wildly beyond what we're watching on TV and in movies about marriage. It's beyond that. Our marriages are not created to terminate on ourselves. Are you tracking? Instead, they are to be carried out to bear an image of something so rich and valuable, and it's in light 
of eternity. And we're going to need scripture. Oh man, we're going to need scripture to teach us how to do everything we're going to learn over the next two weeks so that marriage can be the vehicle that God designed it to be for the mission, the purposes of his kingdom. Oh man, if you are married and you're sitting here right now, you're like, listen, listen, Pastor Brandon, I don't know if I'm up for the task and if I can do this or I don't know if I if I want to do this. Ding, 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 ding. And here enters the Holy Spirit. Ding, 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 ding. It's okay because there are things that you're going to see in the text that you definitely can't do and I definitely cannot do. But the Holy Spirit is going to make the impossible possible. Ding, 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 ding. And the things that you don't want to do, guess what? The Holy Spirit is going to help transform your affections so you can have a new desire to want to do that, folks. That, that's legit. Remember, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do that which we cannot do and that which we don't always want to do in the first place. And this whole thing comes down to a concept a concept of love. The whole institution of marriage is based on Christ's love for the church and then God's love given to the wife through the husband. And then God's love given to the husband through the wife. That's deep. We'll talk about that next week. Like you're supposed to not be working so hard to love your spouse out of your own power. You're not supposed to work that hard. Like, I'm trying so hard to love them. Stop it. It's not about how hard you work to, um, to love your spouse. You're called to operate and to love your spouse out of God's love for you. I'm going to say it again. You love your spouse radically out of God's love for you. That's, that's the secret, but we can't fillet that open yet. Okay, folks, so I've worked so hard, so hard to really camp us out here in this sermon to best prepare and to best equip us to dive deep into this conversation next week about marriage, about marriage um, faithfully. Because the truth is, some of you are going to walk away in the next two weeks' sermons pretty angry. You just are. You're going to be angry about what we talk about. And some of you are going to walk away from the next two sermons really angry really angry about what we talk about. And I'm going to do my very, my very best to take this hot button topic in today's culture and to not offend anyone. But folks, as always, I won't compromise the word of God. When it declares hard things here at Redemption City Church, we talk about those hard things face to face. And I'm very aware, I want you to know this, I am so aware that this scripture on marriage, mishandled, has created hundreds and hundreds of years of abuse and manipulation and pain for victims that experience this passage out of context. And trust me, I, I get it. Because if you're a husband, hey, 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 eyes up here, look at me. If you're a husband and you take these words out of bounds. This is a warning from me as your pastor. If you are a husband and you take these words out of balance and out of focus, you are going to be harsh to your wife and you will lead your wife in a way that is not biblical at all. Trust me, folks. I fell into a little bit of this trap as a younger man in my marriage, but this is also true for the wives. Hey, sisters, look at me. If you take these words out of bounds and out of focus, you will be disrespectful 
to your husband. And you are going to fall into the trap of thinking that your way and your attitudes and your behavior is permissible when God says it's not. This is going to be important. Like, can't you see from both sides, the man and the woman are both going to be susceptible to the wrong things in this passage if we don't come with a spirit-filled position with our Christ-centered headlights on. And if you don't read this passage as a spirit-filled person, you will either abuse this text or you're going to reject this text. Like, you do realize that in every principle and in every doctrine that's laid out in Scripture, there is a road of intended truth by God. And that road of truth is right down the middle of the road. This is so important. This sets us up for the next two weeks for marriage, but folks, this sets us up to understand how to read the Bible. There is an intended road of truth that God lays out in every verse and doctrine, and it's right down the middle. And if you veer to the right side of that truth, it leads to abuse. And if you lead to far to the right side of that road of truth, it leads to legalistic err, err, as you try so hard to implement things without the Spirit of God. But if you veer too far to the left side of the road of truth, it produces this kind of laissez-faire, I don't even want to think about this, I don't really care about this, and it lets you, it leads you into a posture of being disinterested and neglecting it, and you don't want to do it at all. So instead of abusing it, you just become disinterested in it and you neglect to engage with what God says at all in the first place. You just kind of go about doing your own thing, doing your own little deal, being your own little boss. So I'm praying as your lead pastor that we carefully with circumspection and biblically walk right down the middle ground of this road of truth proclaimed by Paul, inspired by God about marriage next week and the following week, that we would all see a glimpse of Jesus's heart in the text, that you and me would learn to think differently about our marriage with Christ-centered headlights on, that we would come with God's economy and ways of thinking and not our own. That, that you and me would say to the Holy Spirit, help me in the parts that I can't do in my marriage and help transform me to want to do the things I don't want to do in my marriage. But folks, I also have an uncommon prayer that should be much more common in our churches today. Okay, so eyes up here with your mind so clear. I am trying to set our dinner plate for the next two weeks. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Here it is. Here's my prayer. I pray for biblical courage for anyone who the Lord might be calling to singlehood. What, Pastor? What are we talking about right now? Listen, that in a way that only God can do, those who are called to singlehood would be so richly encouraged and strengthened towards the journey of singlehood that God has for them as well. So even though the next two weeks are featuring or are heavily focused on marriage, it's my hope and it's my prayer that you see, singles, the nestled good of what life can be 
for you when you juxtapose all of these spousal needs and all these spousal requirements that God puts into marriage and you consider what a life uninterrupted and only focused on Jesus can be. I'm going to say that again, folks, singles. I want you to be so encouraged as you examine marriage so you can see the heavy weight that God is saying are required with spousal needs as you juxtapose that to what it could be like to be fully focused on Jesus everywhere and all the time without that and what that life might look like for you. So to the, to the singles, I say this as your pastor from the bottom of my heart. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry on behalf of all of us as pastors and elders, on behalf of all of us in our churches, that you are often forgotten and uncared for in church. I'm so sorry you have not felt special and valuable I'm so sorry that, that there's not many sermons that lift up the beautiful design of singlehood and what a life totally dedicated to Christ can look like. I'm so sorry that every time you hear sermons about marriage or you go to a Bible study, it's always in the context of step up, be a man, act like a man, be a woman, as if, mar- as if not getting married means you are a second-class citizen. I'm just so sorry you've experienced that. May the next couple weeks for you, listen to me, may the next couple weeks for you be a sweet grace from God in some miraculous way that I can't even intend to bring in the sermon. Now, as we prepare to land the plane today, I want to show you something massively important that you may have missed about this whole concept of spirit-filled authority and submission, because this is going to really be the, the, the bridge to connect us for the next two sermons. If you can tell, this, is, this sermon today is about setting stages, about submission and authority, so we don't kill ourselves next week when we talk about what God says about this and what God says about that. So, so here it is. It's really important, and it's on your screen. Here's a critical revelation about being Spirit-filled. To be Spirit-filled is to be empowered as a joyful and thankful child of God who submits to the commands of God in relationships within the roles and the responsibilities that He provides for the other person's good and for the glory, man, the glory of God. Okay, brothers and sisters, this is so critical that we understand to whom this whole submission thing is primarily done to. And it's namely God, the Lord. Because so often people get tripped up and trapped up on saying, this person is not worthy of my submission. This person is not worthy of my submission. And to you, I say, you're completely focusing on the wrong thing in the first place. You are forgetting that the primary place of your submission is to the command of God first. I'm going to say it again. Your first place of submission is to the command of God. When Jesus told his disciples to give Caesar what's Caesar's and to submit to the government's authority, he was submitting to the authority by mere virtue that he was first submitting to the command of his heavenly Father to submit to authority on earth. Okay, therefore, your submission 
to those who have authority over you or those who you grant mutual authority and horizontal relationships with you in your life, you grant that position because you first submitted to the command of God over your life as your foundational reason for proceeding in the first place. I'm going to say that again. That's just so important. Think deeply with me today. Your submission to the authority figures in your life and your submission to those who you grant mutual authority and horizontal relationships, this granted position that you offer is able to be offered because you first submitted to the command of God to do it in the first place. And the outflow of your submission to God leads to the submission to others. Submission to others is the overflow of your submission to God. In other words, your power to submit in difficult relationships and situations doesn't need to come out of the perfection of that authority figure in your life and how perfectly they walk out their role. It's by the perfection of God's command to do it in the first place. I'm saying this again or we're not going to make it through the marriage conversation. Your power to submit is not based upon their perfection in carrying out their authority. It's about you submitting to the perfect authority of God and trusting that he keeps all things in the picture. I've said this to you before, submitting to others with God in the picture. Another way of saying that is submitting to others, trusting that God will take care of you. So if you're tracking with me this morning, you're tracking with the text, both husbands and wives are being called to submit to one another, folks. It's not a one-way street. It's not just something that wives are being commanded to do. It's a both-and narrative. Both are being called by God to simultaneously submit to one another because of God's command to submit to what he says. And though we hear conversation after conversation about wives submit to the husband, wives submit, wives submit, wives submit, scripture is calling both parties in marriage to submit. He's calling both parties to submit to what he says. Folks, the, the submission just looks differently. That's it. But so often there's real abuse. There's an abuse narrative surrounding submission. Primarily, submission being exclusively for the wife. And that's because there is this, and because this is such a major area of abuse, this occurs all the time in churches that do sloppy and unfaithful preaching on this text. And I'm going to work hard not to do that these next two weeks. In fact, we have dedicated over an hour, not even about marriage, but to set the stage with the foundation of authority and submission because I want to be so helpful over the next two weeks in this conversations. Okay, so so to be clear, the wife is commanded and she's called and she's instructed to submit to the command of God. And the command of God is that she submits to her husband in all things, respecting him completely. But hey, men, husbands, you are called and you are commanded and you are most definitely instructed to submit to the command of God. And you exercise that submission to God by loving your wife unconditionally, sacrificially, and with totality. Both sides are being called to equally. The wives are not submitting more. The husbands aren't submitting less. Both sides are submitting equally 
but they're just submitting to different commands that God has laid out. So when you read and you unpack this scripture, and when we do that together next week, it's not communicating at all that the husband or the wife's roles are more valuable than the other. Nope, that's not what the text is saying. Do not let contemporary culture tell you that men are better than women or that women are better than men. Don't let that shape your thinking in the text next week because the Bible teaches something much different and it's going to be so much better, redemptive, transformative, unifying. Praise Christ. And that's why the next two weeks are going to be so important. We need to see and have a godly response in our activities and start carrying them out with the anthem that says, marriage is given to some men and to some women with God in the picture for the love of his church and some really cool profound mysteries that we're going to unpack and bring light on next week. But I want to camp out again and say some men and some women have been called to this. And so for those of you who are married, I say this again, the parts of you that are struggling with things you can't do, and they're broken in your marriage. And for the things that you don't want to do, the Holy Spirit has spirit-filled, infused power within you. Let's learn how to practically turn that on. But hey, but for the singles who are examining marriage, I want you to know what marriage is. But I definitely want you to know what marriage is not. So that you are so equipped to make a wise and biblical decision when your time comes. And if you are that single who has something stirring in your heart, man, I don't know why we don't do this. If something is stirring in your affections and there's an appeal to singlehood, you are not less than, you are not sinning, you have not fallen short of the glory of God, you are not an outcast, you are not a second-class citizen, you are simply a man or a woman of God who has looked upon the text and you have seen the great call of spousal need in Scripture and you have counted the cost of what you see a life fully devoted to God's kingdom looks like and then the Holy Spirit may be wooing you to say, I want your attention totally on my kingdom and that this marriage thing is right, and it's good, and it's true, and we want to lift up this anthem. We need marriage in the world, but we also need people who can focus on God's kingdom and not have to spend so much of their energy and their time with so many emotional needs for one another because we're broken and things get messy in marriage. God's calling God's calling us to marriage. God's calling some to singlehood. We need marriages. We need singles. And all together, we become the beautiful people of God. I cannot wait to talk about this next week. This is a great place for us to land. Christ-centered marriages. Christ-single singlehood. Christ-encouraged power. Submission is good. Authority is possible. Impossible comes possible in Christ's name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, man, we've been marching through the book of Ephesians, learning how to move from our story into your story, God. 
And as we move more and more out of our story and more and more into your story, things just get legit. We stop doing bad and we start doing good. We stop being in the dark and we start getting in the light. We start, we stop disregarding your word and we start obeying your word. Oh man, we get fruity, fruit, 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 fruit everywhere. And so, Heavenly Father, right now, we are crescendoing over a bridge into the power and the glad opportunity to submit to authority, parental authority, pastoral authority, marriage authority, business authority. It's good, but we're broken. Holy Spirit, heal us because we're to be redeemers of God's plan for authority amongst his people. So, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would heal areas where we're wounded by authority, where we've been abused by authority, so you could set us up and free us up to be the redeemers of authority. And, Lord, next week it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough because we're dealing with the gender of man and woman, husband and wife, and the complexities of the emotions that collide and the different interests. Genesis chapter 1 through 3, the wife is going to want her husband and not be able to have it. The husband's toiling. There's sin. The thing's jacked up. But in Christ, you've done a spirit-filled repair. And it's time for us to step into that practical position. So Lord, this week, I pray that we would just kind of marinate and bake in the oven of your text. And that when we arrive next week and the following week after that about marriage and subsequently singlehood, that we would be ready, ready to submit, not just to each other, but first to you. Our submission is to you. And out of that submission, flows everything else. It's in your beautiful name that we submit and obey. Amen. Grace and peace, Redemption City Church.